So ready or not, here Christmas comes. We are fully in the middle of this thing right now. Decorations are up, Christmas music is in all the stores, it's, we're singing them in this service, the trees are up, everything. Like some of you put your tree up way too early, we didn't judge you too much for that. But if you haven't got your tree up by now, well, you're just being silly. Get that thing up, it's full Christmas season in every way. Which means the debate is back, y'all. If you haven't figured this out, the debate is back and it's as, it's as hot as ever. The debate is, did Mary know? Did she know or not? Have you heard this song? Like, did, Mary, did you know? And the song is so polarizing. Like you hear people talk about it, and they're like, man, I hate that song. Or that song's kind of catchy. It's just people on all the spectrums. Because it's such an interesting question to ask Mary, like, what, what did you know about this whole thing? And you look at that, and you're like, of course she knew. The angel told her. Don't forget, Mary was a teenager. All right? She might not have been listening. <laughs> I mean, the angel's an authority figure, so she knows she probably just tuned him out at some point. Like, there's no, who knows what's going on? But the question is, Mary, did you know? Did you know your baby boy would one day walk on water? Probably not. Like, I don't think she was thinking that way. Mary's not omniscient. She doesn't know. Yeah, oh, she's holding him like, oh, I bet he's going to walk on water one day. She probably didn't know that story was coming. But then, there's, you know, there's other questions that you go, okay, yeah, it seems like she might have known this. Did you know that your baby boy, boy would save our sons and daughters? Well, it seems like the angel's kind of saying that. It seems like that's true. Has come to make you new. And then this line, that, that the child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Now, that's just good poetry right there. That's just catchy. <laughs> the child that you deliver will soon deliver you. That's pretty good. Bet she knew that. We'll give sight to a blind man. We'll calm the storm with his hand. I bet she didn't know the specifics of that. And so sometimes we just kind of get confused about you hear that song, you're like, oh, what? I wonder what she did know. Well, here's the thing. You look at her part in the story, and that's what we're doing, guys. We started this series in the fall where we just decided to kind of camp out on some of the greatest stories ever told, just so we were really, we, we might be familiar with those stories, but we, we need to know those stories and how they point us to Jesus. And we decided to continue that through Advent, but really in Advent what we're doing is we're looking at the story of God taking on flesh God becoming one of us in five parts. We're looking at all the characters in that story. We're looking at, first, we kind of looked at the years of silence, the 400 years without a prophet, without a word from the Lord, and then uh, the anticipation that came with that. And then we looked at John the Baptist and the role that he played, and today we're looking at Mary. So we're looking at one story in all these different parts, the different roles that they played. And Mary had a very, very strategic, important, crucial role in the story. And as you look at her role in the story, I think that you see some things that she knew, and you see them in a way that it will help us. Mary, um, she knew some truth that can be an anchor for us in this season as we celebrate, as we worship, as we make sure we're not missing the point of it, but it's also an anchor for us in life. And so the story of Mary and how God chose her, it's, it's, it's an absolutely phenomenal part of the story. It's, it's a great part of the whole Christmas story. And as we look at it in Luke chapter 1 today, I want us to really see some things and make some observations about, here's what it seems like Larry, Mary really knew. And, and the first thing I think that you see here is that Mary knew that God had chosen her by his grace. That, that Mary knew this truth, that that God had chosen her. I want you to think about the story and how Mary is from Nazareth. And people would say that Nazareth was a pretty uh, insignificant town. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. That's the saying, right? And so it was kind of an outlying city, an outskirt city. No one, no one really cared about Nazareth. And there's this, this teenage girl who's unknown. She's from not a wealthy family at all. And, and so there's nothing um, really special 
that would say, yeah, this is why God chose her. God chose her because of his grace. He chose her by his grace. In fact, this is a pattern you see all throughout Scripture, that if you look at Mary and where she's from and the fact that we don't know anything about her and her age and all those different kinds of things, you would say, yeah, she's an unlikely choice. There's so many other more likely choices to birth the Messiah into the world, but Mary doesn't doesn't make sense on the surface. And that's what God does. He uses unlikely people to accomplish his purposes. That's the hope for you and for me, that no matter what we think we don't bring to the table or what we don't have to offer, that God loves to use unlikely people to accomplish what only he can accomplish through our lives. And Mary's a picture of that. And so she is a picture of somebody that was chosen because of God's grace, because of his story, because of what he's doing, that he wants his son to be born of very humble beginnings and come in low because as he lives as a servant on this earth, as an example for us, as a perfect example, and then takes our place on the cross and dies, he's going to be exalted at the end when he conquers death and conquers the grave. But he comes in humble as a suffering servant. And so that's a picture that we need to see in why God chose somebody like Mary. Mary knew God had chosen her by grace. In fact, uh, if you look down in verse 46 of Luke chapter 1, when Mary sings her song of praise, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. That's how Mary thinks of herself. For behold, from now on, generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. This is about God, what he's done. It's not about Mary. It's not about me. He's looked upon me, even my humble estate, even though I'm nobody from nowhere, he's chosen me because he's doing mighty things. And it's just a, a, a great reminder for us of how God works through our lives through grace. In fact, the reason why this is confusing is because of a really bad translation of uh, verse 28. That verse 28, when, he, when Gabriel begins to speak to her, he says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And that's a pretty good translation. That's, that's hey, you're the O favored one that God has chosen to have favor on you, to show his favor to you. Undeserved grace is what he's giving you. That God has uh, found favor in you. He's, the Lord is with you. That's a great translation. But somewhere along the way, uh, years and years and years ago, somebody mistranslated it, and it sounded something like this, Hail Mary, full of grace. Have you heard that before? Hail Mary, full of grace is a, is a really bad translation of this passage. And what happened when that translation came out is it, it confused people, and they started thinking that Mary possessed the grace instead of was given the grace, that she was someone who could give grace. And all of a sudden, everything got crazy because all of a sudden people were praying to Mary, some worshiping Mary, something that the Bible never intended. So we started putting things into this story that were never there. The Bible doesn't tell us that Mary was perfect or righteous or that she has grace and we can pray to her and receive grace. She's not giving out grace, she's receiving grace. And so that translation, Hail Mary, full of grace, it's bad theology. It's a pretty interesting football play, but it's really bad theology. That's not what it's saying. Mary didn't stay a virgin forever. She, didn't per she wasn't perfect. We shouldn't pray to her. Like that's, that's not her role in the story. Her role is God chose her for this amazing part of the story. It, it's, it's crazy. And her role is very specific. Nobody else gets that role. She's the only one that plays that part in the story, obviously. But because God chose her by his grace, she's an example for all of us. 
God chooses every single one of us to serve him and to follow him and draws us near to him because of his grace, because he first pursued us. And so this picture of Mary being chosen by God for this role, by his grace, is a reminder that everybody has a part to play. Everybody gets written into the story. Everybody gets invited into God's story because of his grace, not because we deserved it, not because we've earned it, not because we have so much to offer God. No, Mary, being obscure town, obscure background, poor family, God chooses her because it's God's work, it's his grace, and he chooses you and and me because of the same reasons. And Mary seemed to know this truth. And, And so the angel comes and greets her that way. She's actually troubled in verse 29. She's greatly troubled at the saying, trying to discern what sort of greeting, because she doesn't understand why somebody would say that about her, because she she doesn't. She hasn't been preparing for this role all of her life. She grew up thinking, yeah, I can't wait till I get to birth the Messiah. This is a surprise for her. So she's troubled by it. And then the angel says, verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. You're going to conceive and you're going to bear a son. His name's going to be Jesus, which means God saves because he's going to save the world. And so Mary hears this and she has a question. And her question is, um, verse 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, this is really interesting. If you're following Luke, he, he kind of sets the whole thing up by talking about John the Baptist. He talks about Zachariah, and Gabriel comes and makes the announcement to Zachariah that he's going to have a son, even though his wife is barren and is past the age of having children. You're going to have this miracle child, and he's going to be this forerunner to the Christ. You're going to name him John, John the Baptist. And there's a, a great, and he's going to be great. It's a great part of the story. And then Luke sets that up and then goes to Mary in this announcement to show that as great as John the Baptist is, Jesus is greater. And then Mary's going to meet Elizabeth, and Elizabeth's so excited that she's having this baby, and she tells a story, but then she blesses Mary because, man, you are so blessed among all women because as great as the story is of John the Baptist, the story of Jesus is even better. And so Luke seems to kind of be going back and forth a little bit to show us, hey, here's great, and here's even greater. And so when Mary is told this news, how will this be, is her question, since I'm a virgin, (laughs) she's asking a question based on faith, which is different than the question that Zachariah asked. Remember, Zachariah was in the, the holy place, and the angel Gabriel spoke to him and said, you're going to have a child. And he says, how will I know this? You know, I'm old. My wife's barren. She's too old to have kids. How will I know this? And the angel kind of gets upset. He's like, hey, I'm Gabriel. I was just with God, and he told me to come tell you this. Why are you doubting this? Zachariah's question seems to be based on doubt. How can this be seems to be what he's saying. Mary doesn't say, how can this be? She says, how will this be? Her question seems to be a question of faith. She doesn't get rebuked. In fact, the angel answers her. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. Now, guys, don't miss this. The virgin birth is not trivia. It's not just an interesting aspect of the story. It's crucial. What what the angel says is the Holy Spirit's going to be in charge of this conception process. He's going to overshadow you. He's going to create this miracle. And because of that, this child will be the Son of God. 
Now, one of the great truths of the Christmas story is that God takes on flesh, that Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. That's one of the great miracles of the Christmas story. And that miracle happens because of the virgin birth, because she was a virgin when she conceived and when she gave birth to Jesus. We needed God to come and take on flesh in order to rescue us. Nobody else could do that. A mere person couldn't rescue us. God had to take on flesh himself. And so we needed him to be fully God and fully man. And that happens because he was born of a woman. That makes him human. And that happens because he's conceived the Holy Spirit. That makes him God. Fully God, fully man. So that part of the story, this virgin birth, is not just like, hey, that's kind of an interesting aspect. No, that's crucial to the story. Theologians and scholars would tell you that if you deny the virgin birth, you're basically denying the faith because this is crucial, that the God-man had to come and die in our place. No one else could do that. He had to be man so he experienced what we experienced, but he had to be God because he could do it perfectly and conquer all the things that we couldn't conquer. Only Jesus could do that. And the virgin birth, the angel says, that's why you know he's God. That's why you know that this whole thing, that he's the son of God, because he's fully man and fully God at the same time. Now, the reason why this is so important is because we look at this sometimes and we go, man, that, that can't happen. I mean, it's funny, right? We see all the other stories in the Bible. We see all the other miracles, and we get to this one, and we're like, okay, wait a second. I know the birds and the bees. That's not how this works. And we look at the story, and it's so, we, people want to dismiss it all the time. That's not how this, that couldn't have been how it happened. I understand this better. Like, and here's the danger for every single one of us, especially in our culture today. There's a danger that when we see something in Scripture and it doesn't make sense to us, that we reject it. There's a danger in our culture that when something happens to us that is our experience that is outside the truth of what's in the Scripture, that we dismiss the Scripture as being out of date or old or didn't understand the complexities of today's culture. And we say, hey, this doesn't fit. This doesn't feel right. This doesn't, what the Bible says doesn't really seem to be how it's played out in my life. I know this person has done this or whatever. And we, we start looking at things through the cultural perspective and we reject the truth of the Bible. And that's a danger. It's maybe the, one of the biggest dangers that we face as a church today is that false teaching that if, you, if the Bible doesn't match what you're experiencing and what you're feeling, then maybe the Bible's not true. And what we need to be is people that say, no, here's, here's a standard. We believe that the Bible's inerrant, infallible, it's perfect, like it's God's word. He wrote it through people inspired by the Holy Spirit, so this is his word, there's nothing wrong with it, and this is the standard of standards, it's ultimate, and everything in it is true, and when I see something in the culture, or when something happens and there's a trend over here, or something that doesn't make sense, or it doesn't feel right, or doesn't match my experience, I'm not going to rush to dismiss the Bible, I'm going to say, no, no, I'm going to go back and stand on God's word, even if it's not popular even if it's not what everybody else thinks. You're not going to win friends and influence people when you stand on the truth of God's word. But man, when you see something like this crucial truth that God had to be born this way of a virgin, so he's fully God and fully man, it's crucial to our faith, it's crucial to the story, it's crucial to us understanding how he came to save us, and you go, yeah, but it doesn't make sense. Okay, but I'm going to stand on God's word even if it doesn't make sense. Well, that doesn't match what I feel. I must stand on God's word. And here's what Mary's doing here. It just seems like in this whole story as it's playing out that she knew this, that she knew nothing was impossible for God. 
that Mary seems to know this. And it kind of just dominates how she responds to this whole thing. That, hey, nothing's impossible. She hears the angel say, I mean, her question is a good one. How will this, how will this happen? I, I'm a virgin. How's this going to happen? The angel says, the Holy Spirit's going to do it. And she's like, okay. She, she accepts that. Why? Because it seems like she knows there's nothing that's impossible for God. Everything is possible for him. All things are possible for him. Anything is possible for God. He's got all the power, all the authority, all sovereignty, all dominion, everything. Nothing is impossible for him. And so Mary hears this impossible scenario that she's going to give birth to a child even though she's a virgin. She's like, okay, everything's possible with God. I believe he can do it. And man, it's so great for us. Uh, What is it in your life right now that you feel like this is kind of impossible? And we may not say those words out loud, but we feel it all the time, don't we? We've got something that we've been trying to figure out for a long time. We've got some problem. We've got some relational difficulty. We've got some sin struggle. We've got some, something's going on in our life that's spun out of control. And we get to that place where we realize it's just too big. It's just too much. I can't handle it. I can't, nothing can be done here. And we start to feel like there's this weight on us that this will never really work out like I hoped it was going to work out. And probably every single one of us has something going on right now that you would describe in that way. And it starts to feel like it's just not going to work. And here's what the story tells us. There's nothing that's impossible for God. Not one single thing is impossible for him. It doesn't mean he's going to do everything like we want it. It doesn't mean he's going to do it when we want it. But it does mean that he can do anything and everything for us. Nothing's impossible for him. I love how Philip Ryken says it in his commentary on Luke. He says, but the Bible says nothing will be impossible with God. He's the God of the virgin birth. There is no sin he cannot forgive, no relationship he cannot reconcile, no problem he cannot resolve, no need he cannot meet, no ministry he cannot bless, no grief he cannot comfort, no life he cannot reclaim, no sinner he cannot save. The God of the virgin birth is the God who makes all things possible. That's some stuff we need today. That's some stuff we need every day. When things feel like they're impossible and they're insurmountable and we can't win, it's always possible with God. And let that truth guide you. Let that truth inform you in this season and all the seasons that Mary knew nothing was impossible for God. So she hears this story, and then the angel even gives her evidence of it. Verse 36, hey, behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Here's the sign for you. Elizabeth's pregnant. She's going to have a child. She's six months into this. Luke's a historian and a doctor. He's telling us the details so we know how true this really is. And then he says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Virgin birth, nothing's impossible. We can embrace it and we can believe it because we know here's what God can do. Only he can do these things. And so we believe these things. We trust these things. And here's Mary's response, verse 38. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Some of you love underlining things in your Bible. That's one to underline right there. Her response to this news that must have been too uh, amazing for her to even think about. Like it was overwhelming in that moment. And her response to everything that was a surprise, it was, I can't believe it. Like her response is, I'm your servant. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me 
according to your word. She just accepts and embraces her part in the story. It's such a great picture for us. It's such a reminder. Here's what Mary knew in that moment. It seems like Mary knew she could trust God's plan. And she could trust it. This is God's plan? Okay. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be. Whatever, whatever you said, let it be. I will embrace. I will accept. I will move forward because she can trust God's plan. She knows she can trust God's plan. And, and I know that there's a part of the story it's like that's just incredible. I, I mean, how great it would be to be married, to have this role. I mean, it's, she's esteemed and she's blessed and all the things. And she, she deserves all that. And, and we can look at that and go, man, that would be amazing. Don't miss the fact that it absolutely cost her. Embracing this plan meant letting go of her plans. Embracing this dream meant letting go of her dreams. She's got this dream. She's, a, she's betrothed. She's engaged. It's a legal engagement where she's basically married but not acting like a married person. So to Joseph, she's been wanting to marry him. She's doing this year of betrothal, all these things. That's her plans. Live a quiet life in Nazareth. Just raise a family. You know, all those things. She's potentially giving all that up. In fact, the next part of the story is Joseph trying to figure out, should I divorce her or not? Because why? He doesn't believe. Why would anyone believe this? So you're telling me what? The Holy Spirit did this? Okay, yeah, sure. She has to face the fact that when she's embracing this plan, when she's trusting God's plan, it might cost her all of her plans. You know her parents aren't going to understand this. And in little Nazareth, everybody be talking. Like, no one's going to understand this. No one's going to believe this story. She's going to endure shame and scorn and ridicule and all these things. Judgment. People are going to look at her like, oh, I can't believe Mary did that. Can't believe she's telling us that the Holy Spirit did it. She's having to count the cost in that moment. You know she realizes this this could change everything. Not only that, but as she raises Jesus and sets him off into ministry, she has to watch his ministry. She has to watch him endure this pain and suffering that he endured, the ridicule, the scorn. She has to watch him die, the death that he died on the cross. There's pain and suffering in the story for Mary. And so before you say, look at how great the story is, at least acknowledge that there was a lot of cost to her in this. And what you see is that she knew that she could trust God's plan, even if it cost her. I mean, let it be to me, as you've said in your word. I'm just the Lord's servant. And what you see in Mary is such a great example for us that following Jesus, it, it many times will cost us. It many times, what Jesus says is if you want to follow me, you've got to die to yourself, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow. It means there's going to be denial. There's going to be death of my dreams, my plans. I'm going to trade them in for his dreams and his plans for me. And on this side of that decision, sometimes it just looks like too much. I know he's going to, he's going to ask me too much. It's going to cost me too much. I don't know if I really want to follow him because of all the things it's going to cost me. And on this side, sometimes we get just paralyzed. I can't do it. But when we step in faith and we trust him and we, we willingly embrace his plan for our life. On the other side, we look back and we're like, oh, it was, it was worth it. It was always worth it. I thought it was going to, oh, it was, it was so worth it. His plans are better. His dreams are bigger. And it's so hard to see on this side of things. 
I remember as a high school senior, I felt like God was calling me to ministry, and I didn't want that at all. I fought him for a year. I mean, I was like, no, that is not. That's not my plan. That's not my dream. It's not anybody that knew me. That was not what they thought I was going to do. My family didn't want that plan for my life. They thought, no, you don't want to do that. And a year into that, I was at a youth camp, and I surrendered. I was like, okay, God, I will do what you want me to do, not what I want to do. I, I mean, he broke me. I came to the place where I surrendered to what he wanted me to do. I told my parents, and my mom cried. Not happy tears. It's like, why would you do this to yourself? I'm like, I don't know. And it changed everything. It changed, the whole trajectory of my life changed by that one decision to surrender to him. And guys, it was scary. I, I mean, I fought it for a year. And on this side of this thing, all these years later, I look back and go, no regrets at all. Zero. But don't, don't think I'm crazy. It hasn't been easy. I mean, there's been ups and downs of this whole thing. And then they threw in COVID. Like, that was fun. Like, this, no, this hasn't been easy. Man, when I'm over here and I'm looking back, I'm like, his plan's better. His plan's worth it. Whatever it might have cost me, it's insignificant to put what I've gained. And that's just the truth that Mary seems to be teaching us. You can trust his plan, even if it costs you, even if you have to lay some things down, even if your dreams get shattered, his are better. Philip Ryken said it this way, are you willing to be God's servant? then surrender to his will and submit to his word. Give up control, putting things into his hands rather than bending them to your own purpose. Live for God no matter what other people think. And do this even if it means suffering for the cause of Christ. By the grace of God, through faith in Christ, by the work of his Holy Spirit, we are able to say what Mary said, have it your way, Lord, not mine. I'm ready to do your will. I want to submit to you that that's what it means to be a Christian. It's not extreme level Christianity here, for you to look at Jesus and say, I'm your servant. Whatever you want me to do, that's what I want to do. It's just what it means to follow him. And Mary gives us a perfect example of that because she just, I can trust God with this plan. No matter what it is, no matter what people think, no matter what everybody says, I can trust him with this plan. And all these things that Mary knew, it's just so amazing because I'm like, how did she do this? How did this little girl from nowhere do this? How did she respond this way? How did she ha have the faith to just embrace God's plan? And I think there's something that you see all throughout her story that we don't talk about a whole lot, and that's this, that Mary knew God's word, and she chose to obey it. Mary knew God's word as a teenager, and she chose to obey it. When she sings her song called The Magnificat in verses 46 and following, she just keeps quoting scripture. She breaks out in the song after talking to Elizabeth and Elizabeth blesses her and all of a sudden she sings a song and it's just filled with scripture. She's quoting uh, numerous psalms. She's quoting Hannah's prayer of thanksgiving, Hannah's song when, when she conceived Samuel. Like she's quoting all these songs. She's even quoting Deuteronomy. So you know she knows her Bible. She's quoting Deuteronomy. And this teenage girl knows God's word. When this all happens to her and she sings a song, just God's word is coming out of her. I mean, her parents must have been all in on Deuteronomy 6, right? They were talking about God's word when they were walking down the road and talking about when they were lying down, talking about when they were getting up, talking about it at the breakfast table, talking about it in the minivan. They're talking about all the, all the places. So Mary knew it. She's, a, she's from a poor family. They didn't have a copy of the Bible. They probably didn't have a copy of the scroll. They, she just had heard God's word 
taught and sung and spoken of so many times that she knows God's word. And not just knows it, she's willing to obey it. She's willing to follow it. Her, her story and the fact that she knew God's word and it's so obvious to us, I mean, it's just a reminder of the importance of the role of a parent to make sure your kids know the word so that when they're faced with something they never thought they'd be faced with, they have an anchor for their soul that is God's word to guide them, that this is the standard, that everything else doesn't matter as long as I'm living by the standard. And when they go off into the world and they're facing whatever they're going to face, they know God's word. That's so important for us as parents to make sure our kids know that. And she knew it and she obeyed it. Fast forward to Jesus is here and he's teaching. And in Luke chapter 11, he's teaching. And people were amazed at his teaching. They were always marveling at his teaching. And this woman calls out. In Luke chapter 11, verse 27, it says, As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Man, your teaching is so amazing. Your ministry is so amazing. Your mom must have been awesome. Which is, it's a good reminder that when you, you, you make it big, you ought to, you know, look in the camera and say, hi, mom. Thanks, mom. Blessed is the mother who gave you birth. Look at Jesus' answer, verse 28. He replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Sometimes you think, well, maybe he's taking the credit away from Mary. I think he's just giving the credit where it's really due. I think he's pointing out what Mary really did. God chose her to birth the Messiah He gave her grace, but here's what Mary should be blessed for and why she's blessed is because she heard God's word, she knew God's word, and she obeyed it. That's where the blessing comes from. That's where the blessing comes from from you and me, when we know God's word and we live by God's word. Not because we're great, but because God is doing that work through us because of his grace, that we know God's word, we hear God's word, we study God's word, we take notes while we're listening and learning God's word, and then we put it into practice, we live it out, we, we obey God's word. Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So that's why Mary's blessed, and that's why you and I can be blessed as well, when we hear God's word and we put it into practice by his help. Mary knew these things. Seems like she knew these things, and it guided every response that she had in this moment. It it allowed her to accept the most amazing news of all time, that the Savior is coming, and he's going to be born. He's coming to save us, to rescue us from our sins, and he's he's coming to rule the world. That's the announcement that Mary got to hear. And Luke records it for, so we know what Mary was dealing with. He he records it for Mary's benefit because that's where the angel made it. But he also records it for our benefit. So we need to hear that truth as well. We need to hear this announcement and receive this announcement. We need to understand that a Savior is going to be born, that has been born. The Son of God has been born to Mary. He came into this world. He's the most powerful ruler in the history of the world. And and Mary heard this, and she trusted the angel's promise. She trusted his news. Here's the question. Do you trust this promise? Do you trust the angel's promise that the Son of God, God took on flesh, was born to a virgin, lived among us, took our place on the cross because he was perfect. He paid the penalty for our sin that we couldn't pay. And because of that, has rescued us and given us eternal life with him forever when we place our faith and trust in him. Do you trust that promise? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? The reason that story is here is so that we can believe in Jesus as our Savior and trust him as our Lord. And if If that's not you, you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus yet, what about today? 
Why not have a conversation with your parents today and ask them what it means to put your faith and trust in Jesus? Have a conversation with a friend. Have a conversation with someone who invited you. Come, have a conversation with one of the pastors here. We'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to put your faith in Jesus as Savior during this season when we highlight the fact that he came to rescue us. And if you have that relationship with Jesus, you've already put your faith and trust in him, then this story reminds us that we worship him as the great Savior that he is, and we serve him as our everlasting king that that's our response. Look at what he's done. Look at, he did this, only he could do this, and so we will worship him in response to who he is, and we will serve him and follow him because he is the king of kings and lord of lords. Let's be the people that do that for his glory this Christmas season and all the seasons. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for the truth of your word. God, thank you for these stories that there's so much amazement in these stories, so much wonder in these stories that you would work in lives of people this way. But God, help us to see so clearly that it's always you at work. It's always your hand. It's always your power. It's always your glory that's being put on display. But it's always about you. And God, I'm so thankful for Mary. I'm thankful for her simple faith, willing to embrace uh, what you had called her to do, willing to accept your plan, trust your plan, willing to hear your word and obey it by your power. And God, I pray that you would help us to be people that do exactly that. And we would trust you, knowing that nothing is impossible for you, and we would hear your word and we would do it. And you would be the one that does that through us for your glory. And we thank you for the story. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen.